In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of today, and we thank you for the gift of your Son present to us in the Eucharist. As we take this time of silence to reflect on our lives with you, um, we want to place you at the center. We ask that the Holy Spirit be upon us. We ask the intercession of St. Michael as well. We ask the intercession of our Heavenly Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So there's a couple of things that um, I wanted to say before we get into um, this first conference, which is going to be on um, trying to identify the lie. Um, if you have not yet done so and trying to figure out, you know, what is the lie that the devil is telling me. Um, and so the first thing that I want to say is oftentimes when I've been talking to people that have children or grandchildren, um, as they begin to have this conversation, they think about, gosh, what have I done to my children or my grandchildren? Don't think that. Okay. Don't think about what have I done to my children or my grandchildren or what have I done to other people? That's not what we're doing here. Um, and that's a very easy thing to get distracted by. And so we don't want that distraction of, of what have I done to my loved ones? Um, just put it out of your head. Um, because again, that's not what we're doing here. And because, um, I hope this doesn't break anyone's world, but none of us are perfect, right? There were two people that were perfect. One we nailed to the tree and the other was his mother. Okay. So none of us are perfect. So we're going to do things in our imperfections that are going to hurt others. And that's okay. Like it's okay in the sense that we're not going to dwell on it. Okay. So as I mentioned last night, that I define trauma and we know there's different degrees of trauma, but I define trauma as any time that someone was supposed to show us the love of God and they didn't. And so in that trauma, in those moments of trauma, and again, there's different degrees of trauma, but in those moments of trauma, um, there's a wound that, that happens because we are supposed to be instruments of love of God. And so when, when we're denied um, knowing the love of God or seeing the love of God or feeling the love of God, that creates a little wound in us. And if that happens over and over, especially from one person in our life, um, whether it's a parent, a grandparent, or a sibling, or a friend, or whoever, if that happens over and over to us from that person, then that wound becomes bigger. The other thing that I wanted to say is that as, as we walk backwards, as we figure out what the lie is, and we walk backwards, to be able to remember two things. One, if there is someone in your life that has caused a trauma to you, um, 
to remember that we're not condemning them. In no way are we condemning them. So if you have a, a parent that has done harm to you, we're not condemning your parent. The other thing that we need to remember is that we're not making excuses for them. Because the easiest thing for us to do as we think about um, times where maybe a family member has done us harm, the easiest thing for us to do is to immediately make an excuse for them. To be able to say, well, they didn't know what they were doing. But if we do that, if we make that excuse for them to say, well, they didn't know what they were doing. And excuses is to justify their behavior. And why are we justifying someone wounding us? Like That makes no sense. To be able to say, well, they didn't know what they were doing. Whether they knew what they were doing or not doesn't matter because the wound is still there. And so, but at the same time, again, we're not condemning them. So we're not saying that, you know, if, if my parent or whoever it was that wounded me, you know, they're going to hell in a handbasket um, because they wounded me. We're not saying that either. Um, in no way are we condemning them, but we're also not making excuses for them. Does that make sense? This means yes. This tells me no. This tells me seizure. Okay. So we need you just to be mindful of that, of those two things, that we're not condemning, but we're also not make, making excuses. As I mentioned last night, or I don't know if I did or not, um, fear is a liar. Fear keeps us um, from being able to draw closer. And you might be thinking, what about fear of the Lord? Like, that's one of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we receive it, baptism, and brought to surface at confirmation. Are you saying that fear is bad? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, but the fear of the fear of walking backwards to find the lie, or the fear of knowing the lie, or knowing the harm, that fear is a byproduct of the devil. Fear of the idea of I can't go to confession because then the priest, you know, will know everything I've done. That's a byproduct of the devil because that fear is trying to keep you from receiving love and mercy. And I mentioned last night, the devil wants us to reject God's love and mercy because he did. And so he wants us to follow him. And you might be thinking, well, we're on retreat, so obviously we're good at receiving God's love and mercy. Sad news. There's probably multiple times a day where all of us reject God's love and mercy. And part of the reason is because we're believing a false narrative. So, to have that, to be able to say, okay, so if I'm, if I'm fearful about walking backwards because I know that that's where that's where it's going to lead or if I'm fearful um, from going to confession or I'm fearful for, you know, what do I do? Like, what do I do with that fear? Great question. Give it to Jesus on the crucifix. Be able to say in very simple words, Jesus, I give you this fear 
that's from that's preventing me from being able to draw closer to you. And if you're a visual person and can have a good imagination, put yourself at the foot of the cross and be able to give that fear, whether you put it in a box and present it to our Lord, and he will reach down from the cross and he will pick it up and he will take it upon himself. If you're not a visual person or you don't have a good imagination, um, you can remember the crucifix in your church back home. Be able to be there, present, and leave the, leave the, the fear at the foot of the cross and walk away and let God take it. As I mentioned last night, the devil always tells us what we are not. He loves to do that. He loves to be able to tell us what we are not. He lives to be able to tell us what we are not. If you think of Adam and Eve in the garden, and they have the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, and um, we get the devil approaching Eve, which... That, like in the Garden of Eden, we know that things were peaceful, right? Because sin had not entered, and so everything was peaceful and calm, which is why a serpent could talk to Eve and Eve not run around screaming her head off, you know, that there was a snake. I saw a snake the other day. I screamed like a middle school girl and went running the opposite direction because because sin has entered the world. And so when I saw that snake... I hate snakes. I hate them with a passion. But anyway, um, but so the serpent appears to eat to Eve and says, "Go ahead, eat the apple." This is paraphrasing, by the way. Um, the devil says to Eve, "Eat the apple," and Eve says, "I don't think we're supposed to." And the devil says, "Nothing bad will happen." Nothing bad will happen. That's a lie from the devil. And then he says, God doesn't want you to eat this apple because if you do, you will be like him. And he doesn't want you to be equal to him. Which, by the way, thinking about that, being equal with God, Jesus at the Last Supper says to his disciples, You have called me master and teacher, and it is right, but now I call you friends. He is correcting what was said by the devil in the garden. Jesus is correcting what was said in the garden to say, I call you friends, not the devil but it is I who call you friends, which is why we can know, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but this is why we can know and have faith to be able to do this journey because we know that God will take care of us. He will bring healing to us if we do this journey to be able to walk backwards to know our our lie. God will bring healing to us because he has corrected what was done in the garden. 
Okay, so Eve says, I don't think we should, you know, or we can. And then the devil says nothing bad will happen. So Eve takes the bite and then she goes to her husband and she says to Adam, here's an apple, eat it. And Adam doesn't, he's a guy, right? So he doesn't go, where does this come from? Like, you know, anything like that. He just eats the food that's given to him, right? And then the next thing they do, because now sin has entered the world, and so the next thing they do is they hide in shame. So before, they were walking with God the Father in the garden. Now sin has entered the world, so they hide in shame. The devil loves for us to hide in shame. He loves for us to hide in shame. He loves for us to fear shame or to feel shame with regards to our the lie. That if we believe this lie that he tells us about ourselves, then that lie comes with shame. And the devil loves for us to be in shame. So I'm just giving you little spots because I can tell that some people are writing and I didn't like it when I was on retreat and the priest would say something and I'd be like trying to like rush it down while he goes on and says something else. Um, so I'm just giving you little pauses, like dramatic pauses, you know. Um, so that shame that we feel uh, when the devil lies to us, that's where he wants us, right? Because if we're, if we're following the false narrative of the lie that he tells us, and we're feeling that shame, then you know what we aren't? The true versions of ourselves. Then we aren't the people that God created us to be because we're believing a false narrative. God does not want us seeing ourselves in positions of shame. That is not what God the Father wants for us. Because God the Father is a loving Father, and so he wants the very best for us. And he knows us, and he knows the amazing things that we can do. And he's a father, and so he wants the best, and he wants to see us do those amazing things. But if we're believing this false narrative, the devil has told us, and we're living in shame then we don't get to see the true versions of who we are as his sons and daughters. And can you imagine the pain of a father who looks at a child and he says, my child, my child is not who I created them to be. My child is not living the life that I created them to live. And, and, and when he looks at us and he sees us that way, his heart breaks for us. It's not mad at us. God does not get mad at us for that. But rather, his heart breaks for us. Because he sees us falling into the trap of the devil. And so even more of a reason that if we go to him and we say, God the Father, I need your love, I need your mercy. 
I want to be who you created me to be. God the Father's like, amen, yes, good. Let me heal you. So, being able to identify our lie might take some time for prayer. Um, because it could be a lie that came out of an event that happened years and years ago. And, and we've been in this, this false narrative for so long. Or it's a lie that came from an event recently. Or, and probably more realistic, it has come out of one event that, is, that has been consecutive in our life from one event to the next to the next. To be able to say, because the devil loves to say, oh, see, look. Yet again, you're not enough. Or, oh, look, yet again, you aren't lovable. Oh, look. And God the Father doesn't do that. God the Father doesn't tell us where we failed. God the Father doesn't throw our sins in our face. God the Father doesn't, doesn't bring um, ugliness to us. That's not what God the Father does. Your lie may be connected to your favorite sin. And your favorite sin, you might think, I don't have a favorite sin. Like, good night, who are you? Like, why would I have a favorite sin? Crazy man. Your favorite, you didn't know I could read some of your thoughts, did you? Um... Your favorite sin is the sin that you take to confession time and time again. And if you go, why, I have a laundry list? Yeah, there's one of those that's still your favorite. And that favorite sin um, is probably connected to your lie. Because that favorite sin is the false narrative. And it's living in the false narrative. We're going to get a little technical here, and I apologize for that. But we're creating the image and likeness of Almighty God himself, right? And God does not create waste or junk. And so being able to be created in the image and likeness of Almighty God, we know that skipping ahead, that's in Genesis, skipping ahead into the first letter of John, it says God is love. And so we're creating the image and likeness of love. So we are meant to be images of God's love, right? So God creates beauty. The devil destroys it. The devil attempts to destroy it. God creates beauty and the devil attempts to destroy it. This is true with us. God creates, creates us and we are beautiful because we are made in his image and likeness. That's why you all can't stop staring at me. Because I'm good to look at. Because I'm created in the image and likeness of God, right? And so, yeah, it's true. Um, and so, being able to say, okay, so if I'm created in the image and likeness of God, that means that I'm, that I'm good looking, you know? Because God doesn't create, create waste or junk. And so that means that I'm supposed to be an image of love. I'm supposed to be an image of God's love. And so what does the devil want to do? He wants to destroy 
what is beautiful. And so he wants to attack. And he wants to attack us because we are beautiful. We'll go a little bit longer because you all seem, you haven't had that glassed over look yet on your faces. Which sometimes when you're preaching as a priest, you look out. Sometimes when you're preaching as a priest, I'll give you a little hint. Sometimes when you're preaching as a priest, you're bored at what you're saying. And that means everybody else is bored. And sometimes um, you, you look out and people have that glassed over look. And that means that you've gone way too far or way too long. And then sometimes, um, more times than not, when you're hearing a homily on a Sunday especially, and you're thinking, is the priest speaking right to me? No, the priest is speaking right to himself. Because everything he's saying um, is for his own benefit. Like, he needs to hear it. Um, and the fact that you're all just sitting there is bonus for all of you. Um, so if you ever wonder, like, why did Father preach that? It's because Father needed to hear it. Okay, so I just wanted to tell you that. Um, so uh, we have an intellect and a will, right? So our will is always directed toward the good. And our intellect is always directed towards truth. The will is always directed towards the good. And our intellect is always directed towards truth. Simple, simple example. You walk in the door from a long day, and the aroma of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies hits your senses. And you drop everything right at the front door, and you just go... Warm chocolate chip cookies, warm chocolate chip cookies. Like that's all that's going through your head. Warm chocolate chip cookies as you make the long, long trek to the kitchen, which isn't long, but it feels long because you're after those gooey chocolate chip cookies. And you get into the kitchen and you look at them and they're that perfect golden brown. And then that perfect temperature that they've been sitting there, that they're still warm and gooey, yet they're not going to like burn your mouth when you inhale them, Right? And so you get to the kitchen and you reach for one and whoever baked them says, don't touch those. Those are for father. We're going to drop those off at the rectory later. And then that person walks off. And you sit there and you go, that's a warm chocolate chip cookie. And there's like a pan. Father doesn't need a dozen. Like, Father wouldn't even want a dozen. And if I rearrange them on the plate or something, they'll never know if there's a dozen or not. You know, it's not like we're going to drop them off and Father's going to pull the bag out and count them right there. So no one will know. It would probably be, I bet Father would love for me to eat one of his cookies. I mean, if Father were here, he'd offer me his cookie, one of his cookies. So it's not a big deal if I eat Father's cookie, one of his cookies, Right. And so you reach down, you eat a cookie, and then you put the rest on the plate, and the other person walks in and goes, oh, thank you for doing that. And you're like, you're welcome. Like, no problem. That's how, because the goodness 
right? The goodness is the chocolate chip cookie. If you don't like chocolate chip cookies, there's something wrong, but also you can pick whatever flavor you want, okay? But the goodness is the chocolate chip cookie, right? And you eat that chocolate chip cookie and you go, oh, that was tasty. And then you lick the, your mouth because there's still chocolate on the side, you know? And so you lick your mouth and you're like, oh, it's like tasting it all over again, you know? And you go, that was good. Like, that was good. And so we choose that good. But what was the higher good? The higher good was listening to whoever put the time and energy into baking those cookies to say, I baked those for Father. Like, that was the higher good. So our, our will is always directed toward the good. But oftentimes when we sin, what happens is we choose the lower good. And so that's why it's, it's a sin. It's because we've chosen the lower good. We've chosen the low-hanging fruit rather than the higher fruit. And in that moment of choosing the lower good, who's whispering to us but the devil the devil is whispering to us to be able to say, really, I'm doing Father a favor by not dropping off a dozen cookies. And so it's fine that I eat one. Or if Father were here, he'd offer me one. So it's not a big deal, you know, if I eat one. The devil's whispering us to us so that we can justify choosing the lower good. And then our intellect is always directed towards truth. Right? Which is why the favorite question of little children is why. You know, they ask why all the time. And then, and then the parents give that end-all, be-all answer. Because I said so. Right? And then, because I said so, that's supposed to just like, oh, okay. Right? We all love that answer. But we ask why when we're little kids because we want truth. Like we're directed towards truth, we want truth. Which is why when someone says to us a lie, we get it upset. You know, we get, we get upset with them. You know, if you ask a little kid, the perfect thing or the example I always use all the time is kids are playing in the house, vase falls over, mom comes out of the kitchen and asks what happened, Right? Mom already knows what happened. Like, mom knows, or dad knows what happened. They still ask that question, why? Because they want to give an opportunity for their children to tell the truth. But going back to Adam and Eve, when God found, finds them in the garden and God says to them, why are you hiding? And they say, because we're naked and they're shame. And God says to them, who told you that you were naked? And then he says, you have eaten then from the tree that I told you not to eat from. And then what's Adam say? Eve made me do it. And what does Eve say? The snake made me do it. And so when the mom walks into the kitchen, or the, from the kitchen to the living room, and says, what happened? What do the siblings do? We'll call them Tommy and Timmy. Tommy says, Timmy did it. And Timmy says, no, I didn't. Tommy did it. And so we immediately, we don't 
we don't go, yes, that was me, that was my bad, that was my fault. We blame the other person. Why do I bring this up? Because when we're looking at our lie, oftentimes when we're denied, when we experience that trauma, and we're denied the love of God, it could be as simple as someone trying to scapegoat us, someone trying to put the blame on us. And so rather than showing us love, they have wounded us by not only denying that love, but also by putting blame on us. And again, the devil places blame. God does not. God the Father does not place blame on us. So, when we're looking, and by the way, the intellect and the will, we're creating the image and likeness of Almighty God himself, right? And so he gives us an intellect and he gives us a will, and the will directed toward goodness and the intellect directed towards truth. Where does ultimate goodness and ultimate truth lie? With him. So he has created us and he has given us things that direct us to him, which makes sense. You know, it makes sense that he who creates us wants to direct us, wants direct us to himself. So, you got some things to work through, like work on if you if you don't know your lie yet to be able to identify your lie. Um, and to be able to say, where is, um, where is the lie? And then walk it backwards to be able to say, what event does this lie come from? Because again, the lie doesn't come out of the blue. Like the lie doesn't just come out of the thin air and the devil start lying to us. But rather, um, by the way, I talk with my hands, so if you haven't noticed... These are like, try not to get distracted if I'm like talking over here, but my hand's up here. Um, But to be able to say, okay, so what event in my life was there, was there a lie that that came out of? Or what event did I receive a trauma in my life where someone was supposed to show me the love of God and they didn't? And if you need help, like if you can't think of something, if you can't think of a lie, um, you can talk to me and I'll help you. Because maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're the one person the devil doesn't lie to. Like the one person of all of creation, of all of history. But chances are you're not. So chances are you are lying. Or he's lying to you. That's what I meant. Last thing. And this is going to be the bridge to go from the lie into the truth. (coughs) If you look at and have time to read in the Bible, the um, temptation of Jesus in the desert when the devil 
tempts Christ in the desert? To, to, to read the challenges that the devil throws up to Jesus and to see that Jesus um, throwing them right back in his face. And I'll tell you in a second where that is. I mean, obviously, I'm a good Catholic, so I know. I just want to see if Google knows. This part should not be recorded. Matthew chapter 4. You can look at Matthew chapter 4. And again, be able to throw up to read the, the lies the devil throws up and to read Jesus' answers to him when Jesus spikes the ball right back in the devil's face. And then, just so you know, during uh, Mass, the homily, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story of how I got into this. The conference this afternoon at 3 p.m. will be talking about the truth a little bit left of the lies and then the truth. And then this evening's conference at 8 will be on the truth. And then tomorrow morning's conference at 9.30 will be on healing.